Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, listeners. In tonight's episode, we're going to be focusing on a tragic event that played out in Winnipeg, Manitoba on January 1st of 1970. Although over 50 years have come and gone since the events of that night, the ripple effects are still echoing throughout multiple generations of the family affected. The story centers around Geraldine Settee, an 11-year-old girl who left home with some change in her pocket and a craving for a snack from a neighborhood drugstore a short, safe walk away. When Geraldine didn't return within the expected time, her father Leonard grew worried. And that worry turned to panic when he learned the drugstore wasn't even open that evening. Where is Geraldine? A gruesome discovery the next morning would answer that question, but create many more, and of course, forever change the city family. As the official investigation failed to identify the person or persons responsible for the young girl's death, the task seemed to have found a champion in another Satie family member. Although he never met his Aunt Geraldine, our guest has made it his mission to bring awareness to her case and hopefully answer the questions that have been haunting his family for the last 50 years. So let's get to it. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, our topic is the unsolved murder of 11-year-old Geraldine City. So just to start, I want you to tell me a, a little bit about you. Who are you? Where are you? I am in, uh, located in Winnipeg, and I'm, I'm 43 years old. I've lived here all my life. I like, uh, like to play guitar. You know, I like to collect vintage uh, equipment, um, pedals, guitars, amps, and uh, and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, a bit of a car guy as well. I have a couple of Mustangs. Oh man, 2005 Mustang GT, and in 1999. Yeah, nice. helps keep me young. Uh, you're 43. You're into sports cars and guitars. So yeah, I guess it's working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here to talk about. Geraldine Seti. Am I, am I pronouncing her last name right? Seti? You can go either Seti or Seti. Uh, there's pronunciations. I appreciate you asking that. Some people think it's, they think it's actually Seti. They think it's French, right? Um, there's been that, but um, yeah, whatever you prefer. How do you say it? I say it Seti. I used to say it Seti, Seti. but I think it sounds maybe a little bit more distinguished than saying uh, Seti. So we'll go with that. Okay. Now with, with Geraldine's story, I have to ask, first of all, what, what connects you or how are you connected to, to Geraldine and, and her story? Because I know this is something really important to you. What is your connection to Geraldine? Well, I mean, the connection is that, I mean, I was born in 1978, right? So uh, she, was, she was killed in, in 1970. So I was too young to have ever met her. And I, I think I was about eight or nine years old or something like that when my dad told me that I had an Aunt Geraldine that was murdered where Junior's is on uh, St. Mary's Road. Found. 
Wow. So Geraldine is is your was your father's sister? Yes, and, and she was mm -hmm. the youngest in the family. She was baby, and she was about seven years younger than my dad. And he was one of the youngest as it was. Like it was Geraldine, then my dad, and then uh, so hit my dad hard. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Now, this this happened in. 51 years ago, I believe it was January 1st of 70. What now, 51 years later, like, what do you think it is that has got you so motivated to to find out what happened to her and to get the story out there? Like, is there anything that really set this off where you're like, you know, I need to figure this out and work for Geraldine? Yeah, you know, it's about three and a half months ago that I thought I just want to go into it trying to find out information and help if I could. In any way, I, I didn't know what I could actually do, and I just thought, well, you know, I mean, there's so much time has passed that I mean, the people that might know information here are are getting pretty old now, and people are, you know, memories are fading, and people be they've getting Alzheimer's and dementia and stuff like that. And I thought, well, you know, if we don't do it soon, she'll be permanently in the cold case file, and that's just not okay. Mm -hmm. And so I know, like, I, just as you mentioned, the last several months, you've really been, you know, digging and connecting dots in Geraldine's story and digging up a lot of old articles, which have been invaluable in learning her story. Prior to this, did you know the details of what happened to her? Uh, and, and if so, like, what to, to what extent did you know the story versus what you know now? Like, did, growing up as you, like, I'm sure you heard the basics, but how much of it did you did you learn since you you know got a new stimulated interest i guess over the last several months that's a great question um my dad just told me and the family just kind of told me some rudimentary facts that there was a, a main suspect that was and that he was released and we didn't know the extent of of that and i thought that that suspect was innocent and like hey you know no, none of us wants to see anybody missing going to jail, and that's happened many times in the course of police history. Anywhere is that they have the wrong people, and and then it's kind of twofold: it's the wrong person went to jail, and the killer is still out there. So, mm -hmm. you know, but in talking to my dad about three and a half months ago, I asked him to really open up about it, and I was amazed. What, what he told me. And you as well, like I, I mentioned there in my in my question, is that you've also gone through like the I guess probably you, the Manitoba equivalent of like public archives because you've you've been sharing a lot of the original news articles which have the story in so much more detail than the modern contemporary versions that have been shared. Like there was a, a piece CBC did that was kind of like a recap of Geraldine's story, but it was just a couple paragraphs long. And it didn't include a lot of the details in the original articles that, that you shared. Like that must have been eye opening going through the old papers. Oh, for sure. I, I should say, yeah, really, that was the the eye opener. It's like, mm -hmm. I mean, that was back in a time where, I mean, the news was relied on to get it right. They didn't always get it right, of course. But I mean, it was when you see it in big, bold font back then, it, it really really hit me i think it really has that impact this much later you're just like wow uh you know you start to really fill in the blanks and go 
something more here. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we get into Geraldine's life and, and the actual timeline of the events that led to her death, uh, what I'd be curious to hear is like at, at present day, how is this story discussed in your family? Like, as you mentioned, your dad's, you know, still here and talking about it. What about his his siblings and, you know, other members of your family? How do they look at Geraldine's story? Does she come up often? I don't think... I don't think she comes up that often because it's, it's a painful topic, right? Mm-hmm. And and obviously, I can't imagine what it would be like, right? I have my own version of, of anger and frustration and concern, but I mean, I just cannot imagine what it would be like because my aunt actually found her the next day frozen in the snow. That's tough, man. Um, you had mentioned like when you talked to your dad just a few months ago and you're like you know open up to me dad like is it is it something where you really kind of like had to like hold his hand and like force him into discussing it or, or did he seem pretty open to talking to you about this he was really open to it because he's 69 now and that that was his little sister and you know i i didn't know how passionate he still was until i i talked about it Let's talk a bit about Geraldine's life. So, at, at the at the time she was killed, she was 11 years old. Correct. What did you what do you what do you know about her her life at that point? The only the only thing really I could put together from the various articles is that she they have a very big family. She was one like one of ten. So your your dad and her and a whole bunch of others must have been a very big family. Yeah, it, it was a really big family, and mm-hmm. what I think is really neat and interesting is I asked my dad and my, my, uh, some of my family members and aunts and uncles, like what it was like moving from Matheson Island out in, in rural Manitoba. It's like Northeast of, of Winnipeg and it's right along Lake Winnipeg. And, um, and I asked them like, what, what was it like moving to Winnipeg? And he said, well, you know, they, they had a 1953 Dodge, loaded up the family and I mean, took the risk to move to Winnipeg. And my granny and grandpa did it because they wanted a better future for their, their family. That's a big family. And, and on Matheson Island, the only industry was really fishing and trapping and hunting. And they realized that in order to provide a better life for their family, that they need to do that. And I really respect my my grandparents for that. Mm-hmm. So you you were born yourself in Winnipeg, though, but your dad would have been born in this this the small island you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. Um, even Geraldine was. So mm-hmm. she was about four, I think, when they moved to Winnipeg. It was about nineteen. Okay. And what what I put together from the articles as well is this the section of Winnipeg that that your family was living in that Geraldine was living in it w- was seen as like a good neighborhood. And the reason I say that is because when we get into the story, this involves the story involves Geraldine, like going out to the store in the evening. But my understanding is it's not like they lived in like a rough part of town. I know things are probably different now, but in the 1970s, do you know much about the area that, that they were living in, or at least how do you perceive kind of that community at that point? Even back then, it was very affluent. Neighborhood. It was, I mean, just down the street was, I mean, a, a street 
that had a lot of judges and lawyers and, and people with wealth and influence and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, my grandparents really took a big swing there. They could have moved to the North End where it would have been rougher, but they said, no, we're going to move to the, the suburb of St. Paul's safe. Um, everybody knows everybody and, and stuff like that. And, and that's what really kind of blows my mind is that it still is a very safe neighborhood. You can go there and you can raise a, a family and there's no problems. I mean, I grew up there in the 80s. I could ride my bike. My parents just, they had no concern. You know, the only thing was a busy street and you had to worry about that. But stay, go and have fun. Yeah. Um, so the story mainly involves the evening of January 1st, 1970. Geraldine is at my understanding is she's at at home on a thursday night and decides she wants to go to like a local kind of convenience store or drugstore because i think she just wanted to get like a bag of chips is my understanding or like some kind of treat or something and she asks who would be your grandfather for permission to make a quick run to the store am, am, am i getting that right pretty much yeah mm -hmm. it was it was actually my my grandfather that sent her out to the store on uh, January 1st and um, to say, hey, go pick up some some snacks and pop and chips and and some uh, some matchsticks for me as well. And it was about 25 minutes later that it was like, well, she should be home by now. And OK, um, they started calling around to her friends and, and stuff like that. And I was like, no, she's not here. And that was, you know, as a parent, that's when you really start to worry. Yeah. And I understand as well that the worry was even more justified when they realized that the store actually, like, I don't know if it had closed earlier, but for whatever reason, they, I, I believe your granddad determined that not only was she not home when he'd expect her to have been home, but he found out that the drugstore like wasn't even open at that point. So something obviously was happening. Exactly. I believe with all the information and stuff like that, that uh, the store closed at 6 p.m. that night and she went out at 8 Yeah. Okay. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that, that sort of, that would make my grandfather feel even worse with that. That I, I can't imagine how he would have felt. They do an initial search of the area that night, that Thursday evening. But as far as I know, there's there's no sign or trace of her found. Like, do you know much about the initial search that evening? Like, what what would have happened, or what where they looked, or what they did? As far as I can tell, that that wooded area, like they they looked around the perimeter of it, but um, they didn't see anything in there. It wasn't until the next morning that um, my aunt actually they went deeper into that wooded area and then found her there. Mm -hmm. And I, it's hard to tell what facts are when you're looking at 50 year old newspapers, but yeah. one of the articles that I read had indicated that, um, a, somebody had called, well, what's now 911, but was then 999 that someone had phoned there Friday and said like, yeah, you know, she is wherever. And then hung up the call. Do you know if there's any truth to this, like anonymous 999 caller giving the location? Do you, do you know much about this? Um, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was told by one of my family members that it was another one of my family members that they were with that were in the search party that once they found her body, that 
this other family member actually ran into an apartment block, which is where Junior's is, and just knocked on somebody's door. Hey, hey, can I use your phone? Can I use your phone? And then they called from there. And then this family member ran back before they could say oh. their name. So this helps clear up one of those kind of misconceptions without thinking, oh, well, you know, the, the perpetrator wasn't the person telling, calling, right? So. Okay. Yeah. All right. When you read the article, it makes it seem like it was this anonymous person, but exactly. but that makes so much more sense. So the next morning, friends and family would have been out searching in more detail than they would have in the evening before and would have had the benefit of the sun being up. And they, they exactly. found Geraldine. Exactly. Yep. And when they find her, it's um, I'm, I'm assuming based on what I know about the story, it must have been pretty obvious that there was foul play because she met a violent end. What the the initial news reports outline is um, multiple stab wounds is is what ended her life. Is the, I don't know if you've ever seen any medical documents on on what the cause of death was, but I'm I'm thinking with multiple stab wounds, it was likely blood loss. Probably, yeah. They said any one of the six stab wounds could have been fatal. Um, I think it was three in the front and three in the back or something like that. And with a, um, I, I saw as well, it's a, a seven inch blade on the knife. So this isn't a small little pocket knife or something like she was, she would have been seriously injured and she was an 11 year old girl. So that would be a very serious injuries for her. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. They they did find the the money, although again, a small amount of money was still with her, which would lead you to think that robbery may not have been a motive. Um, do you, it's, it's just when you hear a story of a, of a young girl, something like this happening happens to you suspect, could there have been like a sexual motive, but it seems that that wasn't the case either. Like, do you have any idea of what the motive was, or is there any information that could hint towards what someone's motive was to do this to an 11 year old girl running to the store? Well, yeah, you bring up some really good points there. Um, when I started with this, that um, reopening it, I, I was kind of like, I mean, rereading those articles, kind of like, well, okay, I mean, robbery was the motive, and she wasn't sexually assaulted, and which is great. I mean, um, it, it's just kind of odd living over four decades on this planet, you kind of go through the the kind of profile types and stuff like that of who might do this sort of thing. And it seems to be a, a pure power, a pure mm -hmm. just killing for the, the sake of it, right? Because mm -hmm. if you don't need the money, and if it's not sexually related, then you really are, are a truly warped mind. I, Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think the police chief at the time, even in a press conference um, the next day or the, the couple of days after, had said, like, we, I think their exact words was something like, we have a kook on the loose. <laughs> so they, they, they made no no secret of the fact that the, a real kook the suspicion. Or screwball is on the loose. <laughs> yeah, kook or screwball. So the, from the very beginning, that, that seemed to be their, their, um, what they were going on is that it was. A, likely a random attack by a kook or a screwball and and I, and I guess I, I can understand that because it's not like an 11 year old is going to like you know owe money to the mob or have made any enemies like there's right. yeah, just yeah. A, nothing about nothing about it makes sense now 
when when I first started reading about Geraldine's story, it's the next piece that really it just blows my mind is when they were looking for a motive or trying to figure out who may have done this to Geraldine, your grandfather, her father had recalled like um, disturbing phone calls that were made to the house about a month prior. What do you know about these calls? Like what was the story you got about these calls that were made? Uh, I believe December 5th is the date I saw. Yeah, it was uh, December 5th and 6th that um, it was on, yeah, December 5th, 1969, that she got that disturbing, dirty, and, and vulgar phone call. And that, I mean, basically on there, it was that he'd be watching her all, all the time. And um, it was an adolescent. So, I mean, I'm assuming there's probably some suggested things that he, he said in there and, and, and things like that. And um, there was a call on, on the 6th, but that wasn't actually from the, anybody that was threatening her. It was just she fainted because she was worried that there was going, going to be another harassing phone call. This this harassing phone call, do you know if, if, like, I don't know how much detail you know about it, but was it, did she just happen to answer the phone and hear something awful? Or was it someone possibly targeting her, like, you know, looking for her? Do you, do you know much about how it came to be her on the phone with this person? That's a good question because I've asked my family if they know exactly what might have happened. I mean, my, my grandparents would probably know the, the best on that, but they're, they're both unfortunately uh, deceased now. And um, so, yeah, I don't know if the caller asked for her or whether she picked up the phone or whatever like mm -hmm. that. But I do know that but she had direct um, talk directly to her. And and was so disturbed by it that, as you had already said, shortly after when the phone rang again, she got so like riddled with anxiety, I guess, that she actually passed out at the thought of another call. Yeah, like that. yeah, one can totally understand that, right? You're, I mean, uh, an eleven-year-old, yeah. Especially back then, there was no call display or any way to trace that type of thing. Is you pick up the phone, it's crapshoot, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now, another, so, so that's one kind of avenue as to who this, this call is. If it's just a random, per, you know, lewd call, it's a pretty big coincidence that that happens a month prior to a, a random murder. Um, but also there, there were two other cases of young women in that area that, um, seemed to be attacked or threatened right around the same time as Geraldine that at least in my mind, I can't imagine that they're not connected in some way. I'm assuming you read up a bit about these, these two women that I believe were threatened with a knife. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, as printed in the paper on December 14th, 1969. And then December. So, so weeks, but so like weeks before Geraldine yeah. was killed. Yeah, and and also the attacks on the twenty fourth and the twenty sixth. I mean, it's it's like holiday. Um, you have to be a truly warped mind to uh, I mean, be doing this stuff on the holiday because I mean, it's, you should be out with friends or family or having fun. It, that makes it especially warped because it's. I mean, I, I just can't imagine. Yeah, and these other attacks, like what would lead someone to think that they're connected to Geraldine or what similarities do they have with what happened to Geraldine? 
Well, one that we know for sure is that there was a girl that was attacked in a back lane on Hull Avenue. And clearly there was somebody in the neighborhood targeting people in back lanes and, and stuff like that. Because can you imagine being a parent back then? I mean, especially it was targeting girls and just in this like two or three block radius. It's like, what, what's going on? What's happening? In yeah, and I, I read that same article, and I believe the um, the attacker um, used, pulled a pulled a knife and kind of ordered the young woman into the alley. And the article didn't give much detail other than to say they didn't hurt her specifically, but they at knife point forced forced her to watch the person with the knife commit a lewd act on himself. So I'm thinking it kind of sounds sexual. I'm not sure what that lewd act is, but I can use my imagination. But um, <laughs> the, the fact that a knife was in was involved, they described the this young woman who went through that experience um, in the alleyway, she described the attacker as being somewhere between like 15 and 17 years old. So another young, young man. Yeah, that that was what was reported in the paper at that time. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, now, here's where it gets even more complicated. So we have lewd calls, these other attacks, which I think are likely related. What happens to Geraldine? But it doesn't stop there because there actually was an arrest made and it seems like you know in a small town like that not not a small town but in a small neighborhood like that it seems like these crimes appear to be isolated to this one area like I, i'm not surprised that they were able to pick someone up pretty quick but they went as far as to like do it in full investigation make an arrest lay charges i believe yeah no yeah. maybe they, they did lay charges but then they, I, it didn't go to trial or anything i guess the charges were just dropped it went to trial, but the trial was stayed. And it was, I found it was stayed for an apparent lack of evidence on it. Uh -huh. And, and main, this boy that was 14, well, 14 at the time that Geraldine had, was moved, but 16 at the time of when he uh, was charged for going to trial. Um, he was released on $10,000 bail the next day, reported in the paper after that. I mean, $10,000. At that time, instead of tell, would have bought you a pretty nice house. It's a significant amount. Oh, well, she went to the store with a dollar thirty. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So ten grand is a is a sizable amount of money. And, and just you mentioned the age there, fourteen at the time of her murder, sixteen at the time of his arrest. There's kind of two important things there. For one, is the age fourteen would put this suspect um, in the right age to be connected to those other cases as well. You know, if they're looking for a 14 right. to 17 yeah. ish year old. Yeah. So there's that. But also if they didn't make the arrest until two years later, that would tell me that the investigation, I don't want to give them too much credit, but they, they, it, they didn't jump to conclusions and arrest someone. There must've been some investigation happening that would take that amount of time. They would have had enough evidence to justify the laying of charges, but not enough to actually bring it to trial. So it's it's I would love to know what they evidence they had and what evidence they lacked that led to the charges being stayed. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's one of those things where 
I mean, we're getting into like a half a century's worth of urban legends and myths being passed down and going around the neighborhood and, you know, people whispering and, hey, did you know this and everything like that, that, I mean, we're not sure exactly what is, uh, what's fact and what's fiction. It's not going to be unique to Geraldine's story, but whenever like a crime like this happens, especially to a child, it just like people talk, rumor mills start. What like growing up around this story and still being in that area, like what what are the the rumors or the speculation that's out there as to what may have happened? Have you heard a lot? Yeah, you know, in gathering a lot of uh, facts and, and stuff like that and and just talking to people and what they heard or what they know and, and stuff like that, that um, what happened back then is, I think it might've been not properly handled, right? The police mm -hmm. did the best they could. I mean, they, I mean, I, I spoke with the police about three months ago, three and a half months ago when I started this and the file was massive. I mean, he put a condensed file in front of me, it was about like that. And okay. so they did a lot of homework. They did a lot of work. And I don't know if there was something that may have compromised it. Uh, maybe the suspect was questioned without a parent or lawyer present. I'm not sure. You know, some people think that. Some people think maybe there was evidence obtained without a warrant, stuff like that. But a lot of, but I guess a lot of, at this point, a lot of it is is hearsay and it's still like it's still an yeah uh, like as far as the activeness of the file like when you met with an investigator this uh, did they like how did they describe the current situation like are they still doing any investigation or involved because this if this was a 14 year old or <laughs> that they that did it possibly in a 16 year old that had charge of state this person is likely still on the planet like are they still looking into this at all the main suspect indeed is is alive and turned 66 in August of this year. So okay. um, in meeting with the police, one of the things that they, they did say is that in 2008, there was somebody that was going to testify and that they had an overdose and then got amnesia. Oh, that was going to testify against the original suspect? That was going to testify, yes, against the original suspect. Did were the police um, like and I understand there would have been rules at the time uh, like about, um, you know, what information could have been shared because the original articles yeah. just refer yeah. to him as like a 16 year old. Were the investigators that you met with open with who this person was like were they did they give you any details? They were very open. Yes. Mm hmm. Well, you, you had said turn 66, like maybe you can give me an idea of what information that they shared with you about this person. Well, I mean, there, there's, they, they had a big file and, and everything like that. And I mean, in their words that, I mean, the main suspect is still the person that person is mainly that like the main and seemingly the only suspect i guess is a good way to put kinda it kind of seems is like the it's the only i mean they, they had other suspects there was one i think a, a middle-aged man reading the articles back then i think it was like 
in his 40s or something like that that uh, had a history of molestation and sexually abusing girls and stuff like that but um he was i don't think he was a serious suspect but he was somebody of interest right but then you know you start to rule things out in that i mean she wasn't sexually assaulted so it just seems like something that wouldn't be in the mo for like a middle-aged pervert right so mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know how many other suspects there were, but I yeah. mean, it's... And, and I can't help but always, like, I think it, as I hear her story, and even if I read it with different suspects, I'm I'm going to be thinking of Geraldine's case with the other cases we discussed. I, I, I see it all as one, because I, I can't imagine that in the same area within, you know, a two-week span, the situation happened in the alleyway with the young man with the knife. And then Geraldine is murdered in another isolated area by knife. Um, in in that original, that other attack described it as a young, you know, 14 to 17 year old man, I believe is, or boy, I guess yeah, is yeah. what they said, um, which wouldn't fit the MO of, you know, if there's an older pervert and this young man with a knife within a two week period in this, you know, well-to-do area, it just seems like um, that would be, like an unusual frequency of kind of freak attacks to happen. Now, with with this story still being being out, or with you putting this story out and uncovering these details, what are you like hoping to get out of this? Is it? I I can only imagine this. There, if there's a um, this man is still on this planet, are you hoping that maybe new evidence will come forward, or what is your motivation in in uncovering and sharing Geraldine's story? Well, first of all, I mean, I want to get her story out there because, I mean, the history of tragedy is kind of, I mean, there's always new tragedy. One kind of buries the other and, and stuff. A month or two goes by and there's something new, right? And mm -hmm. she seems like she was kind of erased from history almost. And I don't think that was right. You know, with this, I mean, especially knowing that the main suspect I mean, is still alive. Yeah. And... It, it seems like if, if something like this happened, an 11 year old girl, like I, I can only imagine that the community would have been pointing fingers and like scrambling to figure out what had happened. Like this um, young man that was arrested and eventually charges stayed, like did, was that known in public or in the neighborhood and amongst your family who it was that was charged? No, I've, none. In speaking to my family, we haven't spoken to everybody like or like all the cousins and and my mm. my dad's cousins or anything. Nobody knew that it actually went to trial. That's an interesting thing. But wow. also, it was mentioned in the paper at that time that I mean, a suspect was released on bail in 1971. So I I don't think they read the papers back then because they didn't want to read about whatever it might have been. So it, it's just weird how. Nobody seems to know that there was actually a trial. Wow. Um, it, it was kept hush-hush. Yeah, it's just such a different world because nowadays, like it, maybe the, the the kids like the that was arrested's name may, and photo may not be in the paper, but, you know, all the details of the case would be out there. Especially with social media. I mean, it's any anything you do would be all over Twitter and Facebook and <laughs> everything. Yeah, you know? it's, yeah. Um, 
Now, for people like people out there, how can they support you in your journey to, you know, find justice for Geraldine? Like what, 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 what can regular people do to get involved in this? That's a good question. I mean, really the best way if, if people are affected by this is just to contact, I mean, contact local police, Winnipeg police and or mantle the legal system and also try to contact um, MLAs and politicians and ask to say <clears throat> what happened here. Can you explain this to us? There's also, um, I don't know if you're involved in this, but there's also a Facebook group uh, that a lot of people who knew Geraldine and family members were in there talking, discussing her case. And I found a lot about her like photos and old news clips um, through this Facebook group. I, I'm thinking aside from that, there's probably not a lot out there to read about her, but what is, what is this Facebook group for people who want to see these things? Yeah, it's called Justice for Geraldine and Satie. And uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff up there. The, all the newspaper articles are there from the time and new information as well. I mean, there, there's people that, I mean, not only our family, but friends and uh, people in the neighborhood that lived through that. And I mean, they may have been going to a different school or something. They're like, it, it was, you know, if that happens in your neighborhood, it, it just rocks your world. And people haven't even thought about it. And it's it's really nice that people are coming forward and being supportive and just saying, I think of Geraldine often, or every time I drive by juniors, I, I think about her or whatever it is. And, and I think especially as people age now, that's one of those things that they want to get closure for. I mean, mm -hmm. just as as decent human beings, I think. Mm -hmm. And just the idea of closure. One of yeah. the, the another dark part of this that I read is that uh, your grandfather, Geraldine's dad, um, he passed not long after this happened to her. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, two years later in 1972. I mean, he basically died of a broken heart. He was really, really racked with guilt. And I mean, if I wish I could have told him, I said. You know, it's not your fault. You had no idea this was going to happen, and but that was his baby girl. You know, she, she was the youngest in the family, and I mean, all of my other aunts and uncles moved out of the house except for my dad. So it was just Geraldine and my dad, and I mean, that's I can't imagine what that would be like. No. And yeah, even when I see the photos of Geraldine, y you can tell she's the baby. There'll be like, you know, everyone is so much bigger than her. And there's just a little a little girl in the photo. The yeah. one photo that's very touching is her on your granddad or on her dad's uh, knee on a boat or something. And it's um, yeah, yeah. it's a very, a very sweet moment and a very beautiful photo and beautiful memory. But the, the idea of like, I can, like, I, I could never imagine how it must feel, but I know that if his last interaction was to send her for a quick run to the store and this happens, yeah, he could never have expected this to happen, but the way that would weigh on a parent is just unimaginable. So, oh yeah, you know, I, I just could imagine that. Uh, Ryan, then if, if, if anyone out there has any information uh, that may be of use, like, 
who would be the police force handling this? Because I believe even at the time, the the police force in those old articles, I don't even think that exists anymore. As you mentioned, the city kind of amalgamated. Who who would they contact? Yeah, you're right. Back in 1974, um, St. Mattel was rolled into um, City Winnipeg, and then they kind of used uh, City Winnipeg's resources, fire departments, police, and everything like that. Um, you can contact the local police here or Crime Stoppers, or you can go on uh, Justice for Gerald Lean City and, uh, and drop a private message or whatever like that. Because we also have, I should say, a private investigator that looks at uh, Gerald Lean's site as well as helping out that um, anything that people provide, we're, we're following up on. Sorry to interrupt the episode like this, but I want to take a moment and tell you about bonus content that's available on the premium feed. But before I tell you about the bonus content, I should remind you that there is in fact a separate and much better nighttime podcast feed than the one you're listening to now. What makes this premium feed better, you ask? Well, it's listener funded, so there aren't distracting ads like this or the others you've heard. But most importantly, the premium feed includes exclusive episodes, bonus content, and prior nighttime episodes that are no longer available here on the free feed. As an example of the bonus content available on the premium feed, shortly after the release of this episode, I'll be releasing an extended excerpt from our discussion that was unable to be included in this episode, in which Ryan and I discuss what we know about the initial suspect in Geraldine Sete's murder. If you're following this case, you won't want to miss that. I should also mention that all annual premium feed subscribers receive a free nighttime welcome pack that includes things like stickers, buttons, and magnets. So if any of this is of interest to you, please consider listening to the show there. You can go premium at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. Again, you can go premium at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash nighttime podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Um, now, with the details of this suspect still, you know, being out there, how does that how does that make you feel? Like, do you feel like there's a chance that new information could come up? You know, you, you didn't mention the fact that um, somebody had been looking to testify, but that got derailed. Like, what what do you think the chances are of something you know happening with this after all this time? I'm hopeful. You know, I mean, people are getting older now and, and people have information that, that can help us. And as per the police, all we need is one or two people to come forward and corroborate that he confessed to the crime because this main suspect did confess to a lot of people and bragged and boasted about it. Mm. And in, yeah. in this, um, him bragging and boasting... Is this just stuff you've heard, like kind of through the rumor mill, or is there any anything you're like that we can point at? We're like, you know, see, that's that's where he did it, or is this just like kind of people have uh, like kind of through the the grapevine sort of thing? Well, in talking to my dad, like right when I started investigating this, he said that um, he had friends at at a local school that um, had family members or friends that were telling him 
about this. And you won't believe what's happening, what I'm being told here. You know, he's he's uh, you know, he's boasting about killing Geraldine. And, I mean, we, we don't know whether he did or not. I mean, the kids in the school back then might have just thought that he was being uh, wish fulfillment or being big man on campus or something like that. You know, I mean, you hear of all these cases where um, people commit or they admit to crimes that they didn't commit, which always kind of <laughs> blows my mind. It's like, why would you purposely try to get yourself in trouble? But the psychology is that you want to, I guess, be somebody to any attention, even if it's negative attention. So, I mean, I think the mindset back then was that, I mean, oh, he's telling somebody else he didn't do it. He just mm. pretending he did. But yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. But but then on the other hand, like, I wonder if this person, you know, could possibly have just talked themselves into some real trouble. But I can't imagine the police would make an arrest and be willing to go to trial based on, you know, he told some people at school, like they must have had more against him that they were willing to go that far but I, but i expect like if we could see that file that they just like they have stuff like they have a lot but just not enough to slam dunk it and maybe it's one of yeah. those stories where we're going to hear someone you know like what what often happens in these cases that have gone on for this time this amount of time is some relationship breaks down someone's betrayed or something changes and then you know the details just come out and i'm really hopeful that you know, you shaking the branches is going to encourage something like that to happen. Exactly, Jordan. That's a, that's a great point. And, and that's what we really thought might happen going into it. That, I mean, like you say, people have fallings out. Um, I mean, friends, family, whoever it is. And I mean, all we need is somebody to come forward and just say, you can best me. This is what he said. We need specific details that would only be known to the killer, you know, because hearsay is not enough, and there, there's plenty of hearsay. And, but yeah, and and what I heard about about this per, this the suspect that they're linking to Geraldine, or at least they were at that point to her to her murder, is that the person did go on to have a troubled life after that. Like I believe they've been identified and they've been connected to other um either crimes or suspected crimes like can you give me any information on what is what the rumors are as far as what this person may have been involved in later in life well i mean i was told by a reliable source that that they were like potentially a suspect in some other murders as well i don't know which ones um, I mean, you, you can imagine that, I mean, somebody, if, it, and this is just speculation, right? I mean, somebody, if they're 14 years old and they're kind of starting out their adolescence of, of going out in that world and, and trying to make sense of it, that, I mean, I don't think that type of thing just kind of goes away. And doing some research on this main suspect, uh, revealed just court records going back to about 1989. There's, uh, I mean, acrimonious divorces from ex-wives, uh, restraining orders, uh, lawsuits, and uh, none of which 
makes anybody a murderer or anything like that, but it, it does help to paint a picture of an irresponsible life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I, I had brought up the Facebook group earlier, and that was something that um, in the Facebook group, I, I saw this suspect being discussed and people sharing past accounts of what they were like, but also sharing um, court records of various like court appearances and stuff. And yeah, it does paint like it doesn't paint the portrait of a killer, but it certainly paints a disturbing picture of somebody who could fit the profile. And I I hope that, you know, if, if just as you said, if there's anyone out there who knows anything about, about her, about Geraldine's murder, or ever, you know, had someone confess or say something about it to them that they will do the right thing and come forward because that's likely all it's going to take. Another thing too, I should add here is that um, this first time that I've mentioned this to anybody, so you're, uh, you have the exclusive on this. Um, this main suspect, um, according to a very reliable resource that lived in the neighborhood back then, um, said this main suspect started out killing cats and other small animals and rabbits and squirrels and stuff like that. And Hmm. that's what I was told, apparently. I want to thank you for joining and I for our discussion surrounding the murder of Geraldine City. If anyone listening has any information regarding this case, please contact Crime Stoppers, Winnipeg Police, Or if all else fails, contact me directly and I can get the information to the proper people anonymously. And with that, we'll begin to wrap up this episode. But before we part, I have some thanks. First, a big thanks to Ryan for sharing an evening with me and with the listeners of Nighttime. Next, a big shout out to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, a massive thanks to everyone who listens to Nighttime as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to take a bit of weight off the show's back, please subscribe to the premium feed. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can keep the show alive at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And on the topic of the premium feed, let me thank the newest subscribers, Caper Jen, Hannah, Michelle, and Sharon. Thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, but can't help financially, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas or if you want to give feedback on the show, reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact or find me on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm often live on the Nighttime Podcast YouTube channel. So until next time, take care of each other. Hug your loved ones tight. Let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.